Co-working spaces have been steadily gaining popularity over recent years and offering small and large businesses alike greater flexibility in the way they accommodate their teams, changing the look and feel of offices and the way we work forever. And then along came COVID to really accelerate the future of work. How exactly has the pandemic disrupted the disruptor? What's changing in the co-working space and how will this ultimately impact the way we live? It's a combination and I think... Going forward, the great thing, if you can say that about COVID, is that there is an understanding now that there, it is possible to have a combination. So I think it's ex- accelerated that and there'll be a much greater acceptance of people working two, three days from home. Welcome to The Elephant in the Room. This is the podcast where we love to talk about the big things in property that never usually get talked about. I'm Veronica Morgan, real estate agent, buyer's agent, co-host of Foxtel's Location, Location, Location Australia and author of Auction Ready. And I'm Chris Bates, mortgage broker. Before we get started, I need to let you know that nothing we say on here can be taken as personal advice. We always recommend you engage the services of a professional. Don't forget that you can access the transcript for this episode on the website as well as down Download our free full or forecaster report. Which experts can you trust to get it right? Theelephantintheroom.com.au The work we choose to do, the way we do that work, where we do it, and let's not forget how much we get paid to do it, all have a great impact on the way we live and, of course, our property choices. Today, we're diving into the subject of the future of work with Soren Trampadak. Is that how I say your name? Yes, that's pretty good. Oh, thank you. Founder, chairman and CEO of Work Club. Soren created Work Club to provide established businesses with a unique boutique solution to the challenges posed by the rapid pace of change in business. And he has a fascination with the future of work and has recently taken Work Club from flexible workplace operator to workspace consultant specialising in building better connected human ecosystems. He's a thought leader on innovation and the future of work. He's got an impressive 20-year career in leadership positions and continues to provide consultancy on workplace optimization to industry leaders such as Google, Deloitte, NAB, Standard Charters Bank and Facebook. So he's got an incredible global perspective as well. So that's going to be make for an interesting conversation today. Having lived and worked in Denmark, England, Germany, Ireland, Spain, China, Hong Kong, Japan and now Australia. Thank you so much for joining us, Soren. Thank you, Veronica and Chris. Thank you, Soren. Really appreciate you coming on today. I guess um, the future of work is a big, broad topic, but in your mind, you know, what is the future of work today? And very interested to know, how's that actually changed over, let's say, the last 12 months, if at all? I think it's it's accelerating, and I don't think there is, um, we entirely know what that's going to look like. Mm. My guess is that you know, what COVID has done is really shown that people can work from home to some extent. Um, my guess going forward, you're going to see a hybrid of solutions, which are some companies preferring still to work in CBD and wanting most of the team or all of the team to be there. Other companies allowing um, team members to be working a lot more from home and or closer to home. As well, so I think you'll see what we're mm. seeing already is that a trend, definitely, that most companies are looking at contracting uh, their long-term commitments. So larger companies are looking at how can they um, 
contract down and have less long-term committed space in CBD? And how yeah. can they build on some kind of flex valve uh, at a CBD location? And also um, identify hops near people's homes where, you know, it doesn't work for everybody to work from home all the time. And, we, you know, that's that's where those hop locations near people's home are going to be important for a lot of companies. So I think you, you, you really have this combination of CBD locations, fringe locations, and then people working from home. And depending on, on companies, I think it'll be a combination of all of those three. You know, there's certain companies who have a very strong culture and, and leadership style where they're saying, you all got to be in office, in the office, and we want to see you, you know, in here. And then there's the other end of the scale where, Everybody will be allowed to work from home, um, you know, five days a week if they want to. So it's mm. an interesting hybrid, and I think you'll see everything from one end of the scale to the other end of the scale. But it's it's shifting a change that was already underway. I think it, or it's just accelerating a change that was already underway. So that that old school sort of mentality, and I say that because uh, a lot of them are those you know, run by the, say, the baby boom generation or in the management, et cetera. Um, and, you know, if we can't see you, you're not working. was yeah. very prolific, I believe, in the in the corporate world. Um, do you think they're going to be able to still attract talent um, without offering flexibility? Like, do you think that now that the, the market's moved, everyone's just got to have to offer, you know, work from home as an option at least part of the time, whereas they couldn't just say you have to be in five days anymore? I think you're going to have to, yeah. You know, it's 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 a it's it's an expectation, I think, going forward too. But there are other nuances to it as well. That you know, say you are working in a company where that is, it is possible and you can do it. But um, if you work from home most of the time, you may not be as visible as if you're working in the office, mm, and yeah. you may be looked over for opportunities within that company because you're just not visible. Uh, and I think so, so there are nuances there and there are, you, you know, it's just not one or the other. And, and I think that's going to drive behavior as well, you know, regardless of what people want. You know, if, if you are ambitious and you want to move up the ranks, you know, you may need mm. to be much more visible. And, and that means being in the locations where the executive teams are or decision makers are so that you are visible. <laughs> Especially if you are at the bottom of the ladder, right? If you're, yeah. you know, that's 23 or 24 and you're just coming into, you know, being at work from home, people won't even know who you are. No one knows, knows who you are anyway because um, you're just starting out. So, you know, you actually want to be there. You want to be uh, people to start to get to know who you are, right? But also how would you learn? Yeah, and that's the funny part where there's companies that have actually, you know, some I'm, I'm, I'm quite close to some some larger firms that have looked, mm. that have actually come up with these fringe locations and they're finding it hard for people actually that they don't want to work there. They actually still come in because <laughs> yeah. they know that that's the only way up really um, to be seen. So it's it's a it's an interesting mix of dynamics, which is very much linked from a leadership style, you know. And this is obviously one of the more traditional old school, um, but 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 there's still a lot of those around, right? For, for and they've been for quite some time. But this will be a challenge, right? Because 
For starters, I mean, developing a culture when everyone's working remotely is obviously going to bring different challenges than, yes. you know, in the, yep. old, the old way, right? But you've got people that would be starting off in their career and, and they need to learn more than just the technical yeah. skills you know they, they need to learn values they need to learn the way we do things around here that's that sort of stuff so I guess that's a challenge but also it's interesting you say that you know people they ultimately would choose what they what works for them better for them anyway mm. you know so it's like the the company might and it also it does sound like a challenge for employers because it's like you the company's losing the ability to be able to say to specify well these are our working arrangements you know so and so there's pros and cons in that i i get that it's very old school patriarchal way of of governing a business if you like just a top down um however having something a lot more modular and relaxed and flexible and fluid could also be quite challenging from a business perspective but also from an individual within that you know if you're not a sort of a pushy vocal sort of person you might you might get completely overlooked yes exactly well i think the workplaces are changing the way they um, you know, they, they need to act in a way. So it's remotely is a lot uh, based on tech and that works and it will work um, a lot of the time, say two, three days a week. But there are elements that you cannot get across via tech. You know, the, the, the you, you know, all, all the onset um, perceptions there are between people and 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 all of those parts where where you connect i mean you just got to think of a you being in a meeting where say three or four people are in a meeting room and there's two three other people that are remote that are dialing in Mm. i'll guarantee you that you feel more connected to the people in the room compared to those on 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 screen um and so i think the role of workplaces will need to change and it's not necessarily for focused work is is where you actually come in and you um there's a strong cultural aspect of it there is a strong collaboration aspect of it where you do connect and you do you know go in and in in some ways it's the antidote to um tech you know where it it is not about tech it's really about the human connection Mm. yeah well, that's interesting. I've got a client who's in tech, but in tech sales, um, and we're having a chat about this. And while it's only anecdotal, I'd be interested to see if you've got any more further research or actually something a bit more concrete. But I mean, he was saying that they've seen that the sale conversion has dropped quite significantly uh, when they went remote. Um, everything else is the same. They should be converting, you know, in similar sort of percentages. But because that wasn't that sort of face-to-face, let's talk it through, you know, building that trust and that likability because you want to work with people you like, um, they, they, they weren't converting as much. And so that was just an interesting thing that ultimately the sales teams in that scenario are going back to the face-to-face as quick as they can, even though they arguably could do that job virtually or remote. Absolutely. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm convinced about that. I'm com- convinced about that human element and that connection that you do you, – you don't get it in the same way via tech. So, um, you know, I think what what we are trying to build in, in Work Club in some ways is almost like that antidote to to the tech um, where you do come in and, and it's an ability to actually connect in a non-tech way, if you like, you know, in a, in a just 
person to person, people to people kind of in, environment. Um, it's not one or the other. I think it's a combination of both. And you've got to have a bit of a balance because if you work from home all the time via tech, that's that's going to create a lot of challenges, I think, mentally and, you know, over time. But, yeah. you know, that's why I think there is, um, it's not a solution for, you know, the same one for everyone. It's a combination. And I think going forward, the great thing, if you can say that about COVID is that there is an understanding now that there, it is possible to have a combination. So I think it's ex- accelerated that and there'll be a much greater acceptance of people working two, three days from home. Yeah. In the work club sort of scenario and, and all these sort of work, these co-working arrangements, um, and so I've been on your website and I've looked at some of the initiatives and it does sound like a very vibrant, interesting, you know, really dynamic idea sharing, you know, it's a, a, the sort of collaboration of people in different companies, different industries even to sort of cross-pollinate ideas and that's a really something that an individual organisation often can't offer unless they're multi-departmental and they don't have all these silos, you know. So um, that's really quite vibrant and interesting and I can understand the draw card of that for people in smaller businesses. But do you see that, you know, sort of forgetting COVID for a minute and and the way in which we're, whether we're working from home or working from offices or or how we're working, do do you see a future where, Though to some degree there will be a decentralization even in larger organizations in the way in which they accommodate people and how people work? Yes, Veronica, it's the short version. I think let, let me sort of answer you in a runaway way. Where we've, um, seven years ago when we opened up our first clubhouse, the focus on us was on the community within and us creating a diverse environment, you know, in the sense of having mm. many different kind of industries and disciplines represented in that space. And then we started thinking about what would we need to overlay that with, you know, from look and feel and smell and what kind of experiences would we create in order to get people connected in a meaningful way, almost invisible way. Over the last sort of last 18 months, we have extended that and thought, what if we apply the same principles to an entire building. So, for mm. example, uh, we're opening in, in Melbourne, actually. Or we have last week just opened a, a, a large site. It's called Older Fleet mm. on Collins yeah. Street. And it's a 70,000 square meter site. So it's, it's a big tower. Um, and we, have, we are essentially managing that entire human ecosystem of that tower. Uh, within our space, which is about 4,000 square meters, there's about 500 members. But we don't want to just look at our space. We want to look at the entire ecosystem of everyone in that building, which is about mm. 40,000 people. So we, we're moving into becoming this smart of buildings, if you like, from a human perspective. And our objective is to connect people across all of these floors and companies in a better way, in a more meaningful way, to create a destination that's not just about work, but it's a place mm. where you, you know, you feel you're part of a community and um, you are connected from a human perspective as well. And I think this is this is what corporates need to start think about. You know, how do they offer that to their um, yeah. employees and this is what landlords need to start thinking about from a landlord perspective how do they offer something which is more than just 
space because um, you need a reason for people to come in more so mm. now than, than before. And and specifically to to your point, Veronica, I'm, I mean, we're having a lot of conversations with bigger corporates that, like I, like I started out saying, that they are reducing their footprint in CBD locations and they're re- reinvesting some of those savings back into um, fringe locations in the in you know so call it, if it's Sydney it's North Sydney it's West it's South where they allow team members to work from those locations instead of commuting all the way in it saves them mm. cost from a CBD perspective because that's the most expensive real estate mm. and it allows people you know not to travel um, an hour each way in many cases so there's lots of benefits from it from a employee perspective and from a company perspective too but you have to be a you have to be large enough to be able to do that and have a large enough workforce um but b you would imagine then that there'd be sort of hubs developed where similar businesses would would congregate in a similar area that'd make it more cost effective right Yes. So I think it's not, I mean, most cases, companies are not setting up their own locations remotely. I mm, think they yeah. will, They will. you know, it will be on demand, shared spaces, co-working spaces, pro-working, you know, whatever you call it, but it will be, mm. you know, appropriate to their brand and, and delivering the same kind of quality that they would expect their employees to have, you know, in, in their own locations. So... I think that's interesting for fringe locations and is interesting for, I guess, property prices as well because, Mm. um, you know, what we're seeing from a commercial perspective is the demand in fringe locations on commercial real estate have just gone through the roof. Yeah. And, you know, CBD is just the vacancy rates are skyrocketing. So it's it's a shift. Mm. I mean, you could argue, though, that a lot of the spaces that – you know, that have traditionally been built, whether it's offices or co-working spaces, have been quite boring and, you know, white walls and desks. (laughs) How do you think that's, you know, obviously you're on a completely different level and anyone who's been to Work Club knows that in terms of the design and what's trying to inspire. But do you think that, you know, offices are going to have to take it next level in terms of the whole experience that what you experience when you go to work, like going to a cool cafe or a cool restaurant, do you think that the the key companies out there that are looking to attract talent are having to go next level in terms of what they offer day to day to their staff. Yes. And again, this is where COVID has accelerated, you know, this trend that was already on the way. You know, if I go back to landlords, they, you know, 12 months ago, they were talking a bit about how do we create experiences and how, you know, it's more almost like a hospitality experience that needs to be created. And, now there's just this mad scramble to actually accelerate that because, you know, how else are you going to get people into buildings, you know, in, 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 in the city? You can't yeah. <laughs> provide the space. There's going to be much more offered to do that. So, um, and, and in remote locations as well, if you're just providing the space, that's not enough. I think it, it, it is about that connection. It is about being part of a community, you know, whether it's your, you know, just your colleagues, but also other, mm. um, you know, people from different industries and different companies in the same space. So I think the, the those landlords or those shared spaces that will offer real communities, 
of which I don't yep. think there's actually that many, um, no. I think will do really well. So I joined a, I've been part of work club for, I don't know, four or five years, um, but I was in between sort of, uh, you know, cycles, I guess, from the membership. And I thought, oh, I might just try it. This new company was setting up uh, a big name that probably most people co-working would know. Um, and when I experienced the community there and that what you were kind of alluding to before, Veronica, around big corporates, this sort of co-working space or this sort of company targets a lot of big corporates because they're like, we can do it cheaper and more cost efficient for you. But the problem with those sort of co-working spaces is there was very little community because they're big corporates and there was no sort of cross-pollination of the companies where there was actually a real community. And mm. so really all you had is lots of, lots of desks and lots of offices uh, and everyone walking through hallways and not saying hello to each other. <laughs> and if anything, it was a more of a toxic environment rather than a positive environment because there was a bit of a, yeah, it was a bit of a fight free for all a little bit rather than, you know, a vibrant sort of happy community. So it's a really hard thing to create a community that there's a real positive energy behind it. And do you think that's going to be the, the biggest transition for companies to move to this model, but then just do it badly, I guess? Is that what you're thinking is going to happen, Sarah? Yeah, and I think this is this is for me where it's actually really exciting. What's happening? I, you know, if, that sounds a bit bad because it has been a horrible year for most people. But yeah. <laughs> um, I think you know what's exciting about it is that I think there is a acknowledgement or starting to be you know a much more understanding around well, how do we actually create something where people are connected? And I guess this is my passion this is where i'm interested in in that human aspect of how do we connect people you know the space is pretty easy to do everybody can do a space mm. and design it and make it look good that's and, right you know smell nice and everything that's not the difficult part the difficulty is how do you almost in an invisible way and not forceful way connect people so that they it feels different they are connected in a different way it's not just work it's it's a place where you know, it's almost like a, you know, a, a safe house, or it's it's a, yeah. a home. It's it's where you feel you actually you belong, and you know that there's there's safety around that too. You know, and and um, being around like-minded people that actually, you know, are there to support first and to give first. I think when when you create that, it's not like you are you know, saving babies, but you do have a big impact when you, when there's a support network for people from a professional perspective, but also personal perspective. And I think when, when that flows through, it's quite exciting because I think that there is an increased need for that. You know, this world that we're in right now where there's the change is just accelerating and you know, the speed of change is faster and faster every day. The uncertainty is, um, exciting for some, but for most, it's creating anxiety, mm. you know, and a lot of um, nervousness. And you know, how do you how, how how do you address that? I think you one way of doing that is that you are part of a community where there's support, and you can, um, you know, you feel that it's almost you know that support network around you, and it. Um, you know, I think that would be increasingly important in in the world that we live in because the, all the tech platforms, all the community platforms, virtually, they are not delivering that. 
Yeah, we live in a social media world as well, right? So there's this, yeah. so, you know, we're not even talking to our friends. We just text. We don't, you know, we're just looking at pictures of them doing things. Um, and then we work from home and then we everything's done via email. No one picks up the phone. So, you know, communication level that we actually would, you know, it must be dropping every every year. And ultimately, you know, humans are quite tribe creatures, right? So we have done that for for millions of years or whatever whatever it is, right? So yeah. it's a massive shift to our evolution that doesn't really go align without what how we've evolved i guess and so there's going to be consequences and mental health is obviously one of the big parts of it which i can notice already i mean i've been working from home like everyone for for eight months um but you can still feel like you know there's the cabin fever or the just the getting out and about and the the coffee the you know all these sort of things you, you know you a lot of people are realizing that that was giving them a release to just kind of you know, realign where they're going and then off they yeah. go again, you know, so. Yeah. If you like what you're hearing here, please share this episode with others you feel would benefit. And while you're at it, why not leave us an iTunes review? Five stars, please. Every review helps make it easier for other people to find us and hear what our amazing guests have to say. We love hearing your questions and we're planning more listener Q&A episodes. Please send your questions in. You can send them via the website, which is theelephantintheroom.com.au or directly via email to questions at theelephantintheroom.com.au. So with um, I'm sort of interested in the idea that that you wanting to build these communities and um, change the way we work and, and obviously COVID coming along has accelerated it along with a lot of other things. <laughs> so many people yeah. we've interviewed have said, you know, these were coming, these things were coming, but it's it's basically pulled a decade into six months. Now yeah. you just opened this this whopping great site in Melbourne, you know, in Collins Street, and it looks stunning. It might, you must have had your heart in your, in your mouth for that entire time, maybe still do, because, of course, it's not just the idea that, um, you know, now people are working from home more than they're working in, in the, the city, they're doing a hybrid um, model and all this sort of stuff, but but the very fact is at the moment we've got this issue about moving large numbers of people in and out of buildings Um and there's, there's all these other things that no one ever thought about and how many people can get in a lift, you know, and how long does it mm. take to fill a building and then empty a building and, and, and all that sort of stuff. So you must have, you know, I, I would have very much imagined you've been having all these sorts of conversations given the fact you've just got yourself 4,000 square metres of more space in the city, in a city that's just come out of, out of a massive lockdown as well. How do you see that? continuing i mean do you see the decentralization is really going to become permanent in our society do you see that the cbd has to change but or there's going to be a complete change of use of these buildings i mean what are you sort of envisaging there that's a good question i'm not sure i know the answer i i think uh, what we have seen over the years is that there's a move um to create more you know, different kind of asset classes in um, in CBD. So not just commercial yeah. buildings, but also residential. And mm. Melbourne have done a great job, you know, yeah. in, in doing that. Probably one of the mm. best jobs. So and and Sydney is going in that direction as well, where there's much more residential uh, coming into the city, which would mean that you have there's there's much more life. You know, if you have a CBD mm. with just office buildings, then it's a nine to five. It's it's so underutilized and it's <laughs> such a waste of space that, you know, I've been saying that for 20 years, you know, it's about creating buildings where there's this 
blurring lines between, you know, live, work, play, everything in one location because that's where you're driving efficiencies, if you like, for lack of a better word, you know, in terms of how do you use those buildings. And, um, you know, buildings has got one of the biggest footprint from a carbon perspective. So it's really about how do you utilize them better and not just, you know, one third of the day or uh, 40% of the day. So mm. I, I think there's a, lo- there's a lot going on in that space, which is really interesting. Um, and, and this is actually accelerated with COVID. I think you will you'll see CBDs becoming much more varied. You know, you'll have all these different uh, kinds of um, buildings, ASIC buildings. The same with remote fringe locations as well. You know, like it, it, we are going into fringe locations ourselves, you know, so we, we are actively and have been for a while. Also, you know, we will be opening locations um, in, in fringe locations. And, and to me, I always saw that, not also, I mean, I, I've said that for years that I think that's natural and even regional, you know, there, yeah. there's a real need in, in regional Australia also to, to have clubhouses, if you like, for lack of a better word, and, and in fringe locations, because it just makes sense. And all it always made, it made sense in the sense that, you know, we're all driving in cars or public transport into the CBD at the same time in the morning and leaving at the same time in the evening. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> I know. <laughs> from an efficiency perspective, but we kind of, that's just what you do, right? But that's not the best way. Um, Melbourne has been painful and 4,000 square meters sitting empty for three, four months during a lockdown has not been the most exciting part of this year. I can tell you that. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, with three F&B venues as well that we're sort of entering into, um, it's just... It's just very exciting that things are now slowly yeah. opening up and you can, you know, just from a team perspective, the whole team was working from home for all those weeks mm. and just the mental state of them was just deteriorating, you know, week yep. by week. And, you know, it got to a point the last few weeks where there was just tears and it was just it mm. was really just about connecting with them on a daily level to make sure that they were actually okay. So it was, it was getting to, I mean, it's just, it's hard to imagine. I mean, the big problem at the moment is you can't do, even if people are working from home, one of the ways to combat that culture, mental health, um, connection, et cetera, will be to have sort of events or like, uh, you know, days out as a team where you go and do something and, you know, more regular activities as a group to bring people together, which I think a lot of the tech companies already have been doing, but, you know, with COVID, you couldn't even do that, right? So you had people working from home and no way or no way to bring the team together for an event or something. So no, that's true. I think the mental the mental health probably been a bit even like further, you know, difficult. I'd like to um go on a different tack. We've had a we've done an episode on co living, and I've tracked sort of co living pretty closely. Like whenever I hear of a company that's out there, I go and do some research on them. And mm. um, we had Uno on here or Uko, I think it is. Okay, and um. Yeah, so what's your thoughts on, because COVID and co-living kind of contradict each other a little bit, right? It's uh, because COVID's like, well, you know, you know, self-isolate and um, social distance, et cetera, but <laughs> co-living is the opposite, you know? We're all living, yeah. you know, it's connected. So it's funny, do you think it's actually um, 
Now, on the other side of this, assuming there's a vaccine or assuming that we go back to some sort of uh, not social distancing, do you think that it will continue on the path it was on? Or do you think it's been a bit of a the opposite? It's actually delayed that movement. I hope it's not the second part. I mean, I'm from Denmark originally, so co-living to me is like makes total sense in that regard because it's uh, I think it's pretty normal to some extent in Denmark and always was. So I think there may have been a little bit of a pause, but I think it'll just accelerate again. And it's mm. it's a little bit similar to built to rent, where yeah. you know that there's a lot of 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 that on the way in Australia. And I think that the interesting part of that is that again, how do you create a built to rent tower where it's not just individual units, but where there is a community that you're building that and 100% you know maybe the best way is not to build a little home office in your little box but to actually have (laughs) space in the building where you can go and you can work from and you can meet and connect with other people in that building so I think you know the the developers and landlords that really get that right are going to create really strong communities and interesting buildings that you know, you would want to be there versus a building next door with just boxes and that's it, mm. right? And this is this is the challenge. We, we interviewed Lucinda Hartley from Neighbourlytics, um, you know, basically a, a research, you know, data house basically looking at social social data and, and looking at how suburbs, you know, generate different brands or different fields, if you like. And it's interesting because I've always wondered, it's chicken and the egg, Is you know, there's some buildings and complexes and suburbs that, on the surface of it seemed to be really well designed, but for whatever reason just doesn't get off the ground in the way that you could see it was envisaged. Uh, and, and other times we think somehow organically or smoke by osmosis, somehow a community has, has developed all mm. by its own accord, you know, and it's, it's so doing this by design is really problematic um, because humans have this sort of strain, like you're talking about before, you know, people deciding they're going to go into the office even though they've got satellite satellite offices that they can go to closer to home for their own reasons. So it's sort of weird, isn't it, how humans will somehow um, work a way that suits us, I say them as if I'm not one, but, you know, <laughs> versus actually trying to actually make it happen. And it's a challenge, isn't it? Because I guess investors have got to be thinking, well, there's got to be some sort of return. Otherwise, why do I do this? Um, yeah. But it's hard to quantify this, I would imagine. Yeah, but I do think it's possible because I think there are a lot of developments where it's been almost entirely hardware-focused. You know, this is the units, this, mm. is the, mm. this is the commercial side behind that. And, you know, it's 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 driven in that direction. And then sometimes community happens just by chance and it's, I think, more locked than planning. And sometimes yeah. it doesn't. Mm. But I think if you, if you do hardware and software hand in hand and, and you really consider it, um, from a hardware, you know, what do you need to do from a hardware perspective mm. to to actually, you know, create higher probability for people to connect, you know, and, and the right kind of environments. And, and um, if you do that hand in hand with that software approach, I think you, you, you do have a much greater chance of creating um, environments that are much more interesting. And I think that's my interest as well. You know, I'd love to try and, 
apply the principles that we are thinking about uh, on an entire precinct, which we've done in Canberra, where it's mm. uh, it's a couple of office towers, it's a couple of residential towers, and it's a five-star hotel and shopping center. And we've looked at all of that hardware and tried to overlay our principles of how we connect people um, through physical placemaking, you know, uh, and also yeah. a set of experiences that we think will create a better connected precinct. Mm. Um, we will will be executing that, or we'll be will be opening that up in in a couple of years. But that's on on a much bigger scale, and I think if you if you're conscious about it, at least the probability of of creating something will be higher. I mean, Google are doing that a lot. Uh, you know, I think in Silicon Valley, is they're like, well, you know, we want a, more people. We want them to enjoy coming to work and live close by. So why don't we just build a whole community? Let's let's build everything: shops, you know, offices, uh, <laughs> have it all into all interconnected. And you're talking, you know, you know, I don't know. You probably know a lot about it, Soren, but I, you know, that's what their approach is. I mean, here locally, we've had Adam Hurst on from Murbach. Um, you know, they're trying out a few different build-to-rent sort of yeah. uh, buildings. Um, they're way more invested in the success of that building, obviously, than if they're just doing another development, not to say they aren't in others. But um, but it's going to be a work in progress, right? They're going to do the first one and go, what really worked here? Like, you know, when we had that app, that was amazing for people. People really used it. Or they might say the app was a waste of time. No one actually ever engaged with it. So it's going to be this sort of... Uh, process where you know you're going to get more and more investment in build to rent, which is going to create better communities. And the big interesting thing for property investors, I think, with this conversation is, if you've got a bog standard apartment in a boring building that offers no community, that's poorly <laughs> built, that's not in a great location, and you've got this next evolution of buildings coming, which mm. is definitely coming, how do you sell your apartment? when you've got these apartments that are going to come out in 10, 20 years' time that are going to be way better than yours and offer way much more to the people who live in those apartments. And so I think it's the, even though there was already a lot of failures for those apartments, there's a huge one sort of coming that a lot of people just aren't even switching on to. Yeah, I totally agree. Obviously, there's new developments. There's lots um, happening around Sydney. Sydney was in a construction boom, but definitely um, on a commercial side, not so much it was on the tail end of the residential. But... You know, you only have to go around the CBD. You can see, you know, Q quarter, Q quarter. You've got you know, heaps of buildings, right? Yeah. Um, are they, you know, have they come to people like you and said, look, we still haven't kitted it out. It's in the process. We're doing the core. We're still building the levels. We had this sort of design on how we thought each level was going to look. But now we need to shift it and we need to change the way that we do everything, right, where we put the toilets and all that sort of stuff. So, have they come to you and are they really sort of shifting, you know, completely in a different direction to what they were thinking before? Some are not and some are. I think what, what we're doing with landlords is that um, if if they have a really interesting hardware project, you know, if you like, you know, precinct, we, mm. we will engage with them and we'll work with them Um through a consultancy engagement pretty much where, where we actually um, spend time, we look at all the hardware, we think about, you know, how can we apply some of our principles um, to that and then basically come up with, with, with our version of, of how we would do that uh, together mm. as a landlord. So it's hand in hand. 
and then at the end of it, we'll agree whether this this stacks up from both of us from a commercial perspective, and we may or may not execute on it. That's the one end, and that's the exciting part, and we're having a lot of conversations on on that front. The other end is, you know, landlords that are just coming and saying, "We got two floors. Do you want to take those two? And that's mm. that. I think is just no longer conversations that are um, of any value, really, because that's that's uh, th- that's just trying to get rid of space and yeah. without really thinking about how is all this going to work together? How's the ground floor going to work? You know, what do we need to do to the ground floor to activate it and um, create more than just a big empty space? So it's interesting. Some landlords are still in that old world and others are, are, are definitely not. So, Because like any building, some landlords just don't care about the, uh, I mean, they want to just make sure it's filled, but they don't want to, to renovate a commercial tower, change the aircon, et cetera, et cetera, it's a lot of money and a lot of landlords are like, well, I know I'll get a better yield that way, but I'm just happy for it just to sit there in the capital value to potentially go up um, and sell it to someone else. Chris, because the power is shifting. So the power has been with the landlord for many years from a commercial mm. perspective. Mm. And they've been absolutely in, in a strong position to um you know, not to make really cha- any changes. I think that power is shifting across the scale mm. to more um, the operational part of those. You know, how do you how do you create experiences and hospitality experiences and services in those assets? So there are companies that are specialising in those, and you know, the pendulum has almost swung a bit more towards those. I think because mm. hardware is yeah it's, it's, it's just moved from landlord to that more uh obviously there's still power with the landlord but it, it's definitely moved towards operators that understand how to uh create and activate and build communities within buildings sort of bring it to life but also i would imagine that you, you mentioned earlier that the price for commercial space in the ring suburbs is going up and the price you know, square dollar per square meter or whatever in the yeah. CBDs is going down. So they're now facing a competition from areas that I would imagine they've never had to face mm. competition from before. Yeah, and that takes a mind shift change for them to be able to to get themselves out of. But I've got this building and it's a blue chip or an A grade building or whatever. To to realizing that the whole market has changed. Absolutely. Some will go with it and some won't. You know, and yeah. um, so that's how you get white elephants. Yes, that's exactly right. And <laughs> it's funny, you know, we are having conversation. I mean, we are hopefully, uh, well, our plan is that we are going to grow. Um, and, and um, you know, there's a lot of sites in the pipeline, but it's interesting. And there's a lot of conversations with landlords and landlords, you know, th- there are some landlords that are still thinking, you know, 12 months back, uh, but the market has moved 20, 30 percent. Yeah, they're always chasing it, yeah. Um, So, you know, I guess that's the same with everything. As you say, it's the same with everything. It's the same if you're trying to sell a car on eBay. It's, it's, you know, trying to sell a a residential property. It's trying to lease your commercial space. You know, there's some people that uh, just fix their sights on the past rather than the present and the future. Yeah, demand and supply, right? So it's just, just, and, and having a, 
you think on the polls, you know, is it going to go down or up, you know, and if it's going down, you're, you're better off doing a deal now. Mm. So one of the evolutions I think that you, uh, Work Club, did a few years ago is um, you included a bar, right, which I thought was quite uh, strange at the time. I thought, well, all of a sudden this is turning to more of a, a bar <laughs> rather than a workspace, um, you know, and is it now more like a gentleman's sort of club or is it more like a, you know, and it, it's, it was kind of like it was an interesting shift. Yeah. Um, to to watch from a member point of view. Yeah. And you know, and that's to me though. But now it makes perfect sense, right? You know, not just the bar, the coffee, etc. What's your, you know, because I've seen this pro working sort of, and not many probably listeners have ever heard of pro working. So, what is this sort of evolution of co working? Like, what direction? How is that going to play into the the future of work? I guess. So I think pro working is it's just an expression that that we use and. I, you know, as shared space as a sector is, is just getting a bit more sophisticated and it's growing. You know, seven years ago, um, people were asking me, you know, why are you costing this and these guys are costing that? Well, you know, this is KFC and this is, you know, <laughs> a nice deal. So it, it, there was no understanding as such in terms of, um, you know, return on investment. You know, but now there's a much better understanding of this is two star, three star, four star, five star. So, so can we just define pro working? Because like, yeah, me, so like many of the listeners will have no idea what you're talking about. It's kind of a subset of co-working to the you know subcategory where it's it's about curation. So it's curation of members. You know, it's curation mm. of the space. It's really, it's um, it's a curation of. Um, and knowledge as well, where there's a there's a focus on not just work. There's a focus on um, learning as well. Mm. So it's creation of membership. Creation is really one of the key words. Um, yeah, it's not exclusive. It's not elitist. It's just at a certain no. rated level, right? That's mm. the idea. And the idea is is that you create that diversity in industries and disciplines and. Uh, that's that's the curation element that, um, you know, it's not just 20 graphic designers that are in there. It's a real diversity. Mm. That's an interesting point. says that not exclusive because there is a uh, co-working spaces that, you know, that's their value proposition. Like you've got a, um, yeah, it's kind of all behind the doors, you know, everyone knows each other, but it's kind of hidden and everything's kind of, everything's spoken about in there is kept in there sort of thing. And there is a type of, that sort of co-working space but the problem is that you do exclude people that you know don't want to be in that sort of environment that are more open to lots of different um, people at lots of different stages of business or different stages of life um, and so do you think that you will start to see like lots of different sort of target markets with co-working spaces rather than you know the old sort of Regis sort of, you know, yeah. playing white walls sort of thing. Yeah. I think it's just an involvement of the industry. And I think, yeah. and, and, and like I said before, it's not, I don't think it's not about something that's better or worse. It's just, it's, yeah. uh, it's just relevant for, you know, some people are not for others. So it's like, you know, not everybody can stay in a five star or not everybody wants to stay in a three star, you know, so it's all, it, it just is, you know, and and it'll be right for some and not right for others. Um, on the F and B side, on the bar side, Chris, you were mentioning there, you know, with Older Fleet, there's three venues, and and the whole idea is that with Older Fleet, there is um, there's a bar for members only. There's a bar for 
members and tenants. And then there's a public bar as well. And and the idea mm. is that we really want to reach out to everyone in that um, you know context that we you know, our bartenders are not just bartenders, they are facilitators and connectors in this ecosystem yeah. of, you know, how we're going to get to know you, Chris, and link you into what yeah. these experiences that we have in the community or to Veronica, which you need to meet, you know. So mm. it's kind of, that's that's why we're doing it. It's not as such because we want to be big in F&B, and it's a, but it is an important part to cover not just work but social and Really, everything that sits on the life, that's really what it's about, mm. I think, for us. One of the, um, I guess, the surprising things that happened, I mean, everyone, even before COVID, was saying, you know, like the co-working, co-living, it's all on the rise, this is the future, et cetera, et cetera. And then WeWork had a pretty, you know, pretty diabolical um circumstance financially for them right so what happened there and why you know they're a bit of the poster child right this whole whole industry and what happened and and why did it happen i think that's an interesting one i'm not sure i have the answer <laughs> i think one of the things for sure is that they they went for size right and it was mm. all about yeah. price and they were supported by one company that essentially um drove that valuation up you know, artificially, you could probably say, because it really was just one main investor that was behind that. It wasn't a collection of investors. It was really right. one. Yeah. And so that valuation was never really that realistic. And I think, you you know, it's in some, initially I thought this is Starbucks of the industry, which is not good, it's not bad, it's just mass market. Mm. Um, but I think it got to a point where... Um, it's it's mass market and it's Starbucks, but just with really really poor quality. Um, and I think it just went too fast. Yeah, the danger was it was becoming like a Kleenex, right? It was becoming like a what Afterpay is, you know, benefiting from is when you become the word of the industry that you are. Um, <laughs> and I think WeWork were getting that because. They were spending so much money in terms of just everyone was talking about and their valuation was getting lots of media attention. And, um, you know, like Airbnb is now the name for, you know, if you're going away for the weekend, you know, you don't mm. say we're going to stay at Stays or it's I'm going to get an Airbnb for the weekend. And so I think that was for me on an outside, I was thinking this is not the poster child that I think co-living, co-working should be. It's not you know, for me, good enough. And so I think that was the problem I was seeing is that the industry was getting affected by this sort of Goliath just pushing um, member numbers and pushing, uh, you know, the valuation up for a private investment fund, I guess. So, uh, but do you think, how do you think that's going to play out from here though? Because they've still got all their size. They've still got, you know, half a million members or I don't know how many members they've got now, but how do you think that they're going to have to pivot to become, I guess, profitable and, an actual business that survives? That's an interesting journey. I, I think, first of all, as a company, big or small, you've got to deliver on your promises, right? And mm. I think that those promises were not delivered on, you know, because that's, uh, that, that's a major part first. Where they're heading right now, I know there's um, there's a lot of committed sites that were, that were not <laughs> take, taking on, so I know there's definitely a contract okay. um but it's also interesting there's a move into 
a market where they are competing directly with landlords to some extent, and they are offering their entire sites to one company, for example. So it's a, a, you know, it's 500 people plus kind of um, corporates they are engaging with um, to basically service their entire needs. So it's no longer just the one or five or 10. It's really that they are, they're moving up into a different uh, area, which is, um, again, not good or bad. It's, It's just interesting to observe. But I think it's, they've gone so fast I yeah. don't think they've delivered on, on some of their promises and I think there's some adjustment in place to, to get to that place. But I think there's no doubt that there is a market. There is a market in that segment. And I guess it's just figuring out exactly what is the um the you know, the value position or proposition in that segment and deliver on it. Mm. You know, there yeah. Um, there are some financial challenges they need to overcome in the next few years to to get through that for sure. Well, I imagine it's quite capital intensive what they're trying to do, even though they may not be buying the spaces themselves. They've got to fit them out. They've got to hold them, you know, while they're trying to uh, get a big client to sublease them or whatever their their plans are. And and obviously, rapid expansion is is risky, isn't it? You know, <laughs> you you got to start getting your cash flows up pretty quickly, and all your investor. Um, funds very quickly in order to sustain it. Yeah, and I think yeah, that's that was the big thing. I mean, they were losing a billion at some point per quarter. Oh Jesus, it's just aching. So, have you got it on that note though? Have you got a bit of? Have you got a property Dumbo for us? Oh, I don't know. You know, it's not really residential. I think it's probably more commercial. It's interesting. I mean, we've been dealing with a number of landlords during COVID, and. One of the things that we did was we offered members to pause their memberships during the the height of the uh, pandemic, and mm-hmm. um, it's just been interesting to see certain landlords have been really reasonable and accommodating, and you know, looking at it long term, let's get through this together mm. and um, work through this. And other landlords, and one in particular, <laughs> um, went the other direction and say, no, you're going to pay us in full. And, you know, if you don't, we're going to come after you. And it's just <laughs> it's, it's interesting to see, you know, why would anyone do that? You know, because it's just such a short term yeah. um, view. And I mean, our view coming out of that is that we are out of that lease actually already. Mm. Um, so it's, it's such a loss from from their side, which wasn't yep. based on any commercial or logical sense, but probably more of an ego. Short-term business mindset's not going to create <laughs> a long-term, um, you know, whatever, right? So, you know, if you partnered, I imagine that's probably a smaller landlord rather than a big player because a big player yeah. probably doesn't want to burn you because um, they know that you could be one of their best customers um, or their best partnerships, I guess, rather than a customer. And, um yeah, that 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 mindset. I just—it's it, hard to know. In 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 that sort of COVID experience, I think everyone sort of had to cop everything on their chin, right? Everyone, no matter what way you looked at it, everyone was taking a hit some way. Um, and to not sort of play ball—it just sounds like, um, yeah, you're just burning your 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 customers really at that right point in time. And um, like what you did, you know, exactly giving a pause for people for those few months. Um, some would have needed it. Some probably were desperate for it. Some probably didn't need it, but just to give everyone that option was um, allows people just to build trust with the, you know, the, the workplace that they're part of. 
It, it does make me laugh though because we've seen, you know, on the residential side individual landlords doing the same thing, you know. It's like they've, I, of course, there's been legislation to protect tenants, but there's also been this attitude from some, not a lot, but some that it's all very much around, you know, no, nah, I'm not dropping my rent, no, nah, you know, you can you can go as soon as your lease ends, no, nah, this is, is belligerence and it's like, okay, that's all good. Now, where are you going to find another tenant? And if you do find another tenant, they won't be paying the same rent you were getting anyway and you're going to be sitting there with vacancy and, and, and advertising costs and re-letting costs and all that sort of stuff. And you just think, have you not sat down and worked this out? But it's just this very, very narrow, narrow focus. And as you say, short-term thinking, it's, it's phenomenal. And I always wonder how the hell they get their money in the first place. <laughs> it's, it's interesting. And I mean, we had the same experience where they just refused to code. No, the code, you know, it's just, um, it just, it just, you know, it's, it's, it's like saying, no, that wall is not white, it's black. You know, so it's, <laughs> it's just interesting. You can't argue with, with things like that. No, you can't. You <laughs> yeah. have to give up. Yeah. If logic wasn't used to form an opinion, you can't use logic to disabuse them of that opinion. No, it's yeah. quite funny actually. It's just, it's just, um, yeah, it's almost comical. Yeah, arguing with an idiot, you become an idiot, don't you? Um, yeah. that's yes. The same sort of presence that I've fallen for way too many times. But anyway, Soren, um, really appreciate the chat. Um, I think it's really, uh, it's a really interesting space. I think um, if we were going to forecast uh, population growth. Um, how cities were going to evolve over the next 20 or 30 years uh, at the start of 2020. Um, we probably would have said there would have been a rise in work from home, you know, more satellite, et cetera, but, uh, <laughs> and how prices of property potentially would be over that 20, 30 years. Maybe it would still be in the old onion, you know, a lot of the properties around the city that would be more expensive. And But it has changed it and it has changed it, you know, up and down the coast and regional areas and, um have got much better prospects than they probably did. So mm. uh, a big part of that is work, you know, how does work change? And so really appreciate the chat. Thank you. Thank you both as well. Our pleasure. We want to make you a better elephant rider. And this week's elephant rider training is... I'm intrigued a bit by this idea of, you know, the future of work and the decentralisation of our our cities and the even the, the immediate impact that uh, Soren had talked about in terms of the price of commercial real estate or office space in the sort of outer areas of cities rather than the inner areas. And it would be interesting to see, you know, long term if this does play out this way. We've also seen the way people are embracing the idea that you can commute a bit longer if you're only going to do it a couple of days a week. And so they're, you know, the regional areas within a two-hour commute of, of some of our cities are seeing some real increase in buyer activity and price increase. But I guess what I wanted to talk about here is to be careful about thinking, well, that means that the onion, as we talk about, you know, the onion being the the smaller areas are close in the middle of the city and as you go out, the onion rings get bigger and bigger and there's more and more property. We've got to be careful when we look at the onion rings to say, oh, well, that means that all these outer areas that we have and outer suburbs in our cities are going to take off because people will be able to work in satellite locations, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that we just need to sort of have a quick 
discussion around the demographics and the things to look for if you are going to be banking on a decentralisation of workforce and how that might play out to residential property prices. And the very first thing that I think we should have a quick chat about is thinking about where are the high incomes and what do you need to do to earn a high income and where are those people going to be likely to live? Because that's really where it's going to have the greatest impact. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, it's, I think the whole uh, hub model, uh, unless the co-working's just got so many different elements to it. And, um, you know, there's a co-working space near uh, where I am in the beaches. Um, there's a couple and it's not that enticing. They just don't, the look and feel of them and where they're located and the light and the building. It's just like, I don't really, I prefer to just work from home rather than go to that space. So unless you really had a work from home environment that was, you know, maybe in a few years time when, Ellie's a little bit bigger. Maybe I'll be desperate to get out of the house. And that's an interesting thing with work from home with young ones. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I think the, you know, it has to be a pretty high quality product, I think, to be better than home. Um, And I don't think that's going to happen overnight. And if if you find that they won't go everywhere, there'll be, you know, the funding, we spoke about the WeWork challenges. So they'll only go to certain areas and that'll only service a little small community around that. So to expect that there's going to be this co-working sort of spoken hub model that um, is getting banded around or the fried egg or whatever it's called. Um, yeah, I don't think it's going to happen overnight. And I think if you come back in 2030, it'd still be struggling to, to really gain traction on that everywhere across the capital cities. And if you go back to episode 145, uh, which we recorded with Lucinda Hartley from Neighbourlytics, that, uh, you know, she was talking about the sort of research that they do into sort of house and land package areas and new suburbs that are created on the outskirts of our cities. And I think what sort of was interesting in that discussion was the organic nature of how the flavour, if you like, of these communities develops over time. So, you know, I just think that this boot camp really is just a little bit of a warning, a little bit of a flag to say that these things are very, even though COVID has accelerated things, these changes are really structural in terms of the way our cities operate. They will take a long time to really turn into anything meaningful in terms of property prices. And there's an enormous element of chance and sort of organic nature of how these things happen. So it's just to be warned about looking outside the cities uh, and the proof and, you know, long-term growth areas that you are taking risk and it might work, it might pay off, but it's going to be in the long term and it also may not. 100% agree. I mean, at the moment you get, we're getting a completely shift in uh, buyers, what they're looking at at the moment. So we're having lots in the Central Coast, North of Wollongong, et cetera. But, you know, these are Sydney people that uh, work in the city that are now saying, I'm happy to do the commute because I'm confident that I can do work from home or we're actually looking for a lifestyle change and, um, we can get a lot more for our money up there, et cetera. But that doesn't mean that whole suburb or the whole area um, per se is going to go up in value um, because they're only looking at a small subset. They're only looking at certain areas um, and certain suburbs because they're like, well, if I'm going to leave Sydney, I only want to be in this handful of suburbs. And so you, the central coast could grow at X percent, but the that will be very heavily weighted to a small fragment of the market and even in that market it'll only be fragmented to a small portion of the properties in that suburb 
Um, whereas it's not going to have a pressure cooker across a whole of Central Coast. There isn't demand to go and buy all the properties in Central Coast and push them all up in price. Um, and so investors saying, oh, well, there's this work from home movement, Central Coast, let's just go buy a property up there. Um, you could very under, you know, find that your growth isn't great at all. Even though Central Coast as a percentage is done all right, um, you haven't owned the stuff that's gone up. And I think it's extremely risky because of that. Um, people aren't thinking through that sort of, dynamic and how it's actually where in the market it's going to go up and where potentially not. So, yeah, it's a good point. Please join us next week. We're doing a listener Q&A episode. We're going to be covering off all sorts of things around buying land to build a home on, how to retire solely on property investment, uh, things to consider when buying a trophy home, reasons why some apartment buildings have to impose special levies and whether or not property buyers are ready to pay more for sustainable homes. If you're looking to buy your dream home or an investment property in Sydney's inner west, eastern suburbs or North Shore, my team and I can help you buy without regrets. Reach out via my website, gooddeeds.com.au. If you're looking to buy your first home, thinking of upgrading into a new one or purchasing an investment property anywhere in Australia, my team love to carefully guide you on this journey and most importantly, get the finance right. Reach out via our website, wealthful.com.au. Thanks for joining us. We'd love to see you again. And remember, don't be a dumbo.